Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. Ian Bounds in his book, Power Through Prayer, said every Christian who ever did anything for the Lord was characterized by that notable quality called prayer. How can we pray with purpose and meaning? So many people have so many misconceptions about what prayer is. Jesus teaches us how to pray effectively. When we look at the humanity of Jesus, we see him as a man of prayer, a man in constant communion with God. His disciples saw that quality in him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. We're looking together through the Gospel of Luke at the times that Jesus prayed. Luke has a fascination in his Gospel with the prayer life of Jesus. It gives us great insights into how to pray with purpose. Today, as we continue our study, we realize that Jesus prayed to enlighten his disciples. We all need spiritual enlightenment. We want to understand God. We want to understand the scripture. And spiritual knowledge and spiritual revelation comes to us through prayer. And when we pray for others, we help them see the things of God more clearly. Your prayers for others, for your family, for your friends, will help open their eyes spiritually to the truth of the living God, to the saving grace of Christ. And Jesus prayed for his disciples because he knew that spiritual enlightenment in people's lives comes through prayer. Here in the Gospel of Luke, we read in the ninth chapter, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who did the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets of long ago who's come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah, God's Christ. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through 20. The disciples, like people of our day, were telling Jesus all of the opinions that people had of Jesus, trying to figure out who he was. In his day, some saw that he was a great prophet of God that had even come back from the dead, that God had sent back into the world. Sometimes people in the Eastern religion say that Jesus is an avatar or a visitation of divinity. The Muslims say that Jesus is a prophet. The Quran even refers to him as the son of God. It mentions the virgin birth because it was taken from the scripture. Muhammad was influenced by the Bible and they lift him up as a prophet. Today in our culture, we see Different views of Jesus. Some people see him as a a political revolutionary. Some people see him as a psychologist or a great example of morality, the epitome of love. Who Jesus is is the cornerstone of our faith as Christians. And Peter said, you're God's Messiah. You're the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. When Matthew records the same story, he says that Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. All through the scripture, you're the one who has promised to come and save the world. It's interesting that there's a connection here between Jesus praying for his disciples 
and him asking the question, who am I? It's pretty obvious that Jesus was praying for them that they would come to a full, complete understanding of who Jesus is. Some of Jesus' disciples first started off in a relationship with John the Baptist, Peter and Andrew and others. And John the Baptist, of course, pointed them to Jesus. And so when they first met Jesus, they thought him as a teacher like John the Baptist. Then they saw his miracles that had never taken place in the history of the world and will never take place again. They saw him getting outside of the comfort zone of Israel and going into other regions. He was accessible to everyone. The Pharisees and rabbis, many of them didn't get that involved with people. They kind of stood aloof as though they were better than them. They didn't go to people like that. And they were stunned by Jesus' openness. A leper ran up to Jesus in public after the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus laid his hands on a leper and cleansed him. They'd never seen anything like that. He saved a woman caught in adultery from judgment. He went to the house of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, a person that was despised in the town because he ripped people off by charging them excessive taxes and lying in his own pockets. And they saw Jesus being so loving and open. He cast demons out of a woman named Mary Magdalene. She was so traumatized and she became one of the greatest disciples he ever had. And so all of this four years now is coming to a close before he goes to the cross and he's praying for them and he says, who do people say I am? And then he asks them the big question, who do you say I am? And the way that you and I answer that question is the cornerstone of our faith. It is who Jesus is that makes him different from all of the religions and all of the religious figures. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And that enlightenment came to them because he was praying for them in private. Paul the Apostle understood that when we pray for people, the Holy Spirit works in their lives to give them insight into who Jesus is and into the things of God. When Paul was in prison, he wrote four letters. We call the prison letters. One of them is Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we find him recording two of his prayers for people. And he prays for their enlightenment. In chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, in his incomparably great power, for us who believe. He says, I'm asking God to give you the spirit that is the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in your life to give you divine wisdom, to give you divine revelation and insight. He says, I'm praying that you may know God better, come to a greater experience of who God really is in a closer relationship. He says, I'm praying that you may know you have the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, not just your natural eyes, your spiritual insight to know the inheritance of God's blessings, to know God's power. The word know is not just an intellectual knowledge, but it is an experience to experience these things. And even though Paul was in prison, he knew that he could have a spiritual impact on people's lives by praying for them. When it comes to your friends and your family, people you work with, Pray for them 
that the Holy Spirit will give them insight into who Jesus is. It's one of the greatest powers we have to unleash is the power of prayer. When we pray for people, it impacts them spiritually. And one of the greatest ways you can help people spiritually is to pray that the Holy Spirit will give them insight and enlightenment. It is not only who Jesus is, but into the word of the living God. And when we pray for ourselves, we gain enlightenment. You know, David, when he talked about the scripture in Psalm 119, verse 18, he said, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. When we come to the scripture, I do this personally. I often pray that one little prayer, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, Luke goes on to tell us another reason Jesus prayed and why we need to pray. He prayed to experience God's glory in his own life. I'll talk about what glory means after we read this passage. It tells us here, as we continue in the ninth chapter of Luke, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Luke 9, verse 28 and 29. We call this experience the Mount of Transfiguration because there on the mountain he was transfigured into his glory as the Son of God. You see, his glory, his divinity was always veiled by his humanity. But in that moment, preparing for the cross, we see the manifestation of his glory. The word glory goes all the way back to the Hebrew language of the Old Testament. When Moses received the law of God in Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34, he then had another request. He said, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know you. The Bible says that the Lord told him, you can't see me and live, but there's a place in the cleft of the rock where I'll put you and cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And that day, God passed in front of Moses and he covered him with his hand. But the Bible says that Moses caught a glimpse of the backside of God. But the experience was so powerful spiritually that when he came down from the mountain, he didn't realize that his face was actually illuminated and the people saw something of the glory of God even on the face of Moses. And it frightened them. So they had him put a veil over his face until that glory over time diminished. Now you can read about that story also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul the Apostle says, the glory of the old covenant was not a lasting glory. But now that we're born again through faith and the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have an increasing glory. The glory of God in Hebrew language means the weight or the substance, the reality of God. It's also manifested in history as a bright, shining light. And it happened that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw even his garments became as white as lightning. Another translation says as white as snow, dazzling white. There's a connection between the eminence of light and the glory of God. And they saw that in Jesus. Now, when we're born again through faith, the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. In the Old Testament, they had a temple that they went to worship in. And the glory of God in the Old Testament during the days of the wilderness journey would hover over in the form of a cloud over the Holy of Holies, over the tabernacle, later the temple built by King Solomon. 
But then Jesus was the temple of God on earth. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. And we read in 1 Corinthians 6 that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest of all spiritual mysteries that when we're born again, the Spirit of God lives in us. Moses saw a glimpse of God and he had this external manifestation of glory that faded over time, this light. The same way that if you go out in the sun, to give you a comparison, you have a suntan. There's a, your body can even absorb and reflect light. But that was a spiritual glory, but it faded over time. But now that we're born again through faith and the Spirit of God lives in us, the Holy Spirit works in us spiritually to give us an increase of God's glory. And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And he's just talked about Moses' glory when he saw him on Mount Sinai, how that glory faded. And that draws an analogy. That's like the old covenant. The old covenant was here for a time in the time of the dispensation of the law. And now that has gone away and given way to the new covenant of Christ. And he says, now we have a permanent glory, an increasing glory. The old covenant had a decreasing glory. It had a certain time limit. and It was pointing to Jesus. Now listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, he's drawing connection to Moses that had the veil, and we who with unveiled faces, we contemplate. Now that word also means we behold or we see, and we reflect what we behold. We contemplate. We see the Lord's glory. And by seeing it, we are reflecting it. And we are being transformed into His Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who was the Spirit. Now, that's one of the greatest statements about spiritual growth. That statement there also embodies what we refer to sometimes as Christ-likeness or being like Jesus. How is that possible for us to be like Jesus? It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we're trying to do in ourselves. We don't have the power to be like Christ. We don't have the power in ourselves to be godly. But Jesus came to redeem us from sin, to restore the image and glory of God in us. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our relationship to the Lord, the Holy Spirit in us causes a greater glory to be seen in us. You know, in Colossians, Paul uses this fascinating phrase. Verse 27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And while we are all imperfect, sinners saved by grace, yet there is the Holy Spirit in us who brings forth the character and the nature and the glory of Christ. And when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in worship, when we spend time in the Scripture, and we see the Lord's glory, we think about His quality and His attributes, in those moments we too emerge from those times of prayer and times of worship, reflecting the glory of God. I started my ministry first off as a youth pastor when I was in college one summer. I was staying with the pastor and his wife who really became like spiritual parents to me. What a, a great family. They really invested in me and helped me get started in ministry and always believed in me. I was in the room I had downstairs, which had been one of their sons, but he had, he had grown and moved away. And I was in that room for the summer. And one afternoon, I was just reading my Bible and spent a few minutes in prayer. And when I came out, 
Mrs. Seller said to me, she said, David, you've been praying, haven't you? I said, yes. She said, I can always tell. I can see it on your face. I couldn't see that. But I think I know what she meant. I can feel it in my own life as you do. And if you go to church, you come out better than when you went in, don't you? You probably look different. You've been in the presence of God, focusing on the things of God. If you spend some time in the morning reading the Word of God and praying or throughout the day, notice that you emerge from that time a little bit different, a little bit better. And when Jesus was praying, they saw His glory. One of the reasons we all need to pray, and not just pray for stuff and for God to do this and that, as though we're always coming to God like kids with a list for Christmas gifts. Prayer is far more than that. But to spend time with him, to recognize his presence, say, Lord, I thank you're with me today. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, lead me and guide me in your will. In those moments with God, in opening the scripture and looking into the word of God, you and I emerge from those times reflecting like mirrors the glory of the Lord. To be honest with you, I don't pray primarily to get anything from God. I pray because I need to be a better person. And it's been said that any person who emerges from prayer, arises from prayer, a better person, he or she has had their prayers answered. This is why Jesus prayed. And it's why we need to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy and power. We thank you for your word and the, the amazing insights into the prayer life of Jesus that help us to live a better life. I pray, Lord God, for every person watching and sharing this study today that you'll bless them. I do pray for spiritual enlightenment in their lives, that as they look into the scripture, that they'll see wonderful things, that they'll come to know you better and experience your glory at a greater capacity in their lives. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining me for this time today. Let me encourage you to download the Mount Perrin app if you don't have it right now. The Bible studies are there, the sermons, all the aspects of our ministry that are available for you and your family. You can also give and support the work of the ministry. And I ask you today for your gracious support of the Mount Perrin Ministries. And you can do that on the app. You can do it on the website as well. Take a few minutes today and check out the Mount Perrin store. We got a lot of new products, T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. Some really great items that kind of promote the ministry of the church and give us some great spiritual themes like fearless and others to live by. Just the teachers themselves sometimes are a great witness to other people. So check out the store today. Get something for you and your kids. Thank you for your gracious support of the ministry, sharing the Bible study with others as well. I look forward to seeing you this Sunday for worship. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.